Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer Stewart. I love producing this podcast, and it is in large part because I love helping managers and their teams create work environments that feel good to be a part of. And when you let me know that you are invested in your growth and that what I'm producing is valuable, whether that's because you've joined the Modern Manager community, like our newest members, Andrew C. and James B., welcome to you, or you've signed up for my newsletter on my website, or you send me an email like Alex B. just did, you inspire me every day. So thank you to everyone who is listening, to everyone who has joined the Modern Manager community, subscribed to my newsletter, or written me a note on email or social media. And now, on to today's guest. Emily Miner leads LRN's Ethics and Compliance Advisory Practice. She helps organizations understand their company culture to inspire ethical behavior using an approach that is co-creative, bottom-up, and data-driven. In addition to leading engagements with organizations in the healthcare, technology, and manufacturing industries, Emily contributes to major research studies and thought leadership. Emily and I talk about moral leadership, what it is, why it's so important right now, and what the characteristics of moral leaders are and how they show up in managers. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Emily. First, I want to give a little shout out to Mike Eichemel for connecting us. I always give a shout out to whoever the person is that brings us together. So thank you to Mike. And I am really excited to talk to you today about a subject that is at least on my mind a lot. So hello. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thank you. So we're talking about moral leadership, which, as I said, it's on my mind a lot partly because of the political climate, partly because of the role of business in many policies and kind of where our country is headed, where, the, where kind of the world is headed. So moral leadership feels like a really important thing that we all need right now. So set the stage. What is moral leadership? Moral leadership is really about a choice that one makes in how to lead. So, you know, we have in all of our organizations, in politics, in schools, in teams, in basically any kind of group of people coming together to strive for something, we have formal leaders, you know, those with a specific title or expertise that connotes some type of formal authority. And formal authority is, is really important in our world, and we need that. But what we're finding is that as our world has changed, formal authority is no longer enough. We also need those people to have moral authority. And when we're talking about moral authority, it's about what drives you. Are you, are you driven by profit above everything else? Or do you lead first with, with purpose? Do you have a meaning in the work that you're doing? It's about how you work with others. Do you inspire people to strive for a shared purpose? Do you elevate others, create freedom for others to lean in and lead? And it's really about being animated by your own values, by demonstrating humility, being able to admit mistakes, stand up for what is right. So that's as we do our research into 
kind of what moral leadership is, those are the characteristics that have really risen to the top. So I want to dig into each of those in a little bit. But first, I want to kind of learn a little bit more about this research, because when I was reading the short version of the report, an article that came out about it, I was fascinated about some of the circumstances that have led us to need this form of moral leadership right now. So can you talk a little bit about why now is a moment for moral leadership? I think that you know, with each new year that comes, we're in more and more and more of a moment where moral leadership is needed. And that's really driven. I think the the number one driver of that is in how, you know, rapidly our technology has advanced and how it has brought people around the world closer together, more closely connected, and also kind of lifted the curtains off this previously secret world of business and of leaders themselves. So, you know, we're seeing much more transparently into the inner workings of organizations, um, into the the drivers of specific leaders, both inside and outside of business. And quite frankly, most of the time we don't like what we see. And so kind of across the world, you know, a society at large, consumers, employees themselves are demanding more and more and more from their leaders, from the organizations, you know, from our governments. We see, you know, really incredible examples of how people are kind of raising this call for moral leadership. I mean, think about the the thousands of Google employees that, you know, stood up and staged a walkout to protest various kind of employment practices of the organization. And, you know, these are people that really quite literally voted with their feet and, you know, in some sense risked their jobs, but found strength in numbers to to challenge their organization. You know, we see this from consumers in any kind of hashtag boycott X company that that trends and in how consumers are demanding, you know, more socially and environmentally responsible practices from organizations. We see this in the the wake of the Me Too movement as more and more people are demanding accountability from those at the very top for really egregious examples of abuses of power. Well, and I think one that you didn't mention, but I know impacts me is Facebook and the privacy and the use of data and some other things and the transparency around all of that, which I have definitely made different choices about how I use or don't use Facebook. And it is beyond that too, right? As you mentioned, there are so many organizations that people are now responding to differently as consumers or as employees. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I mean, I also have made different choices about how I use Facebook. You know, it's it's a platform that has brought so much convenience and really connection, which I I know is, is part of its mission is to connect people around the world. And that's incredible. But as more and more has come out about um, you know, abuses of, of privacy and the knowledge that the organization has had about those abuses and and even participated or perpetuated them themselves, more people are starting to really question if that convenience and connection is worth it. And, you know, that's just one example to to pick on Facebook, but there are so many other examples. Yeah, absolutely. It's not definitely not only Facebook. 
How do you see this translate from kind of big company policies into kind of everyday managers, I would say, you know, kind of people who are really running teams and departments kind of doing their work? Does moral leadership have a, a place in there? It does. And, you know, moral leadership, it really has a place in people at all different levels of organizations. But, you know, focusing specifically on managers, you know, one of the incredible things that we found in our research was the impact of role modeling. So when employees had managers that demonstrated various characteristics of moral leaders, they were much more likely to also demonstrate those characteristics themselves. And that's really critical from, you know, an organizational performance perspective. Thinking about, you know, what is the right thing to do in this situation? You know, putting the organization's purpose first above my own individual interest, thinking outside the confines of my specific role and connecting the dots across across an organization. So we're seeing, particularly in the rise of the millennial demographic in the workforce, we're seeing this type of leadership is it's like a table stakes expectation that the millennial demographic in particular has when it comes to their leaders. So it's not just an expectation that they're having for the CEO or those at the very top, but really for leaders at all levels. And they're being vocal about those expectations and choosing to accept or turn down job offers in large part based on that. Wow. That's really exciting to hear. I feel like I hear a lot of not so nice things about millennials <laughs> in terms of the way that they approach work. And this is one of the most positive things I've heard about, about the millennial generation, of which I call myself one of them. So that's really exciting and inspiring to hear that we're actually raising a generation that cares about moral authority and moral leadership. And it's not just a nice to have, but it's actually part of what is expected. Yeah. And I think actually some of the um, most inspiring examples of what, you know, moral leadership looks like comes from millennials and even the generation after that, which I don't remember what it's called, Gen Z. You know, we're also seeing that in, in Gen Z. So if you think about the, the teenagers, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds that stood up after the Parkland shooting in Florida. These are people that are, you know, too young to even vote, but using their voice were able to catalyze a national conversation that's still ongoing, which is really, really inspiring. All right, let's shift a little bit because I'm sure people are wondering, as am I, how do you become a moral leader? Kind of what does it take or what are the dimensions to step into that? So We've identified or kind of broken down the, the various characteristics of moral leadership into seven main capacities. And the two most prominent capacities, and when I say most prominent, I mean those that have the greatest kind of outsized impact, are the ability to see people as people, not as resources to get a job done, not as interchangeable units, but humans first and foremost with all of the complexities that come 
with that inside and outside of work. So that's one of the most important capacities that we found. The other is to hold really high ethical standards to kind of unequivocally pursue what is right, not what is necessary to get the job done right now. So those were the two most important capacities of moral leaders that we found. But other ones are, we talk a lot about pausing, pausing to really reflect on what it means to be a leader in your organization, whatever type of organization that might be. What are your own principles of leadership and how can you manifest them in how you interact with people and make decisions on a daily basis? Uh, You know, we live in such a fast-paced world where we're always on and, you know, people don't even really take vacation anymore because you always have your, your cell phone with you and can be reached. But that ability to take that time out to reflect on yourself and to be honest with yourself about where you are versus where you want to be um, is another really critical component to developing the types of moral leadership qualities that people are asking for. Well, I want to go back to the first mm-hmm. one that you mentioned around seeing people as full people. And, you know, I, I like to think that the people who are listening to this show are on this kind of journey. They're thinking a lot about how they manage. And I talk a lot about kind of how do you build a strong team where people thrive. But what are some of the behaviors that you see of leaders who are kind of interacting with and seeing their team members and their colleagues as full people? Like, what does that actually look like? Because I think most of us like to think that we're doing it, but I'm actually not sure that we are. So I'm kind of curious, what are some of the ways that you see people acting towards their colleagues when they are really seeing them as full people? Yeah. And I love how you said that, you know, most of us think that we're doing this, but but are we actually? And some of the behaviors are ones that you would expect. So, you know, I mentioned treating your colleagues as people, not just as resources, treating everyone with respect equally. But it's also about you really caring about your colleagues' well-being, caring about their personal lives, seeking to understand their personal lives, what inspires them, you know, having compassion for how one brings other aspects of their life into their work life. It looks like engaging people in two-way conversations, kind of irrespective of hierarchy or expertise and respecting the value that everyone has to offer celebrating people for living their values, celebrating diversity, celebrating individual differences. And those are some things that I think people talk about a lot. Yes, we value diversity, but how do you actually demonstrate that in practice? And it's really not easy. And as I have been experiencing more recently in some of the work I've been doing, we all have blinders, right? It's so hard to recognize the things that we are doing that feel like we're doing the right thing, but actually maybe we're 
we're not being as inclusive as we should be, or we think we're having a dialogue, but really we're having a monologue, or we think we're being really supportive of someone's full life. And then later on, we realize that they feel like super uncomfortable talking about certain things because they feel like we're not making space for that aspect of themselves. Like it's so hard to get out of our own way or to even just understand and reflect on our own behaviors of where we are really coming to something and to the work and to people as full people and being willing to be vulnerable and acknowledge that we're not perfect at it. Yeah. And I think that you've really highlighted something that has the the greatest impact you asked earlier about, you know, what can one do to kind of develop their moral leadership capacity? And it's really about wrestling with those questions. You know, we kind of sometimes talk about it as going to the moral gym, exercising those moral muscles, but really asking those tough questions of, you know, what's right and wrong? What's fair? What are my blind spots and my biases? And asking for help to wrestle with them and to, you know, get better every single day. You know, an example that I love is Mark Bertolini, the CEO of Aetna. He kind of famously introduced yoga as one of the employee benefits in Aetna. And one of the yoga instructors came to him and said, you know, your people are not happy and you need to get at the bottom of what's going on. And so he started pulling data on his employees, on his his frontline employees. And what he found really shocked him. A significant number of his employees that were at the lowest paid levels were women, that were, were single mothers. And a significant percentage of them, you know, were on food stamps and had children on Medicaid because they couldn't afford the dependent coverage that their own company and insurance company offered. And he was horrified by that. And around the same time, he was reading Thomas Piketty's book, Capital in the 21st Century, and he gave that book to everyone on his staff and started to have conversations with people about what they could do to fix this problem of inequality. And as, as a result, um, you know, a few years ago, they raised the minimum wage for you know, the workers at the bottom level to $16 an hour, improved employee benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, somebody said to him, there's an issue here and you need to figure it out. And he took that seriously and he didn't do it alone. He engaged his whole leadership team and in that effort and, you know, used data and understood people's stories of how this was impacting them to make some really significant changes within the organization. Wow. That is so exciting. And just to hear any business that is making those kinds of efforts to bring equality and fairness or, or at least some levels of equity in the work and the way that they treat their employees is just awesome. I'm curious about the other dimensions because we've heard a couple and you said there were seven total. So I want to make sure that we get to at least hear what all the seven are. Yeah. So some of the other ones are to create freedom for others in the organization to organize how they pursue their work, to you know, create opportunities for people to take risk, to, you know, we kind of talked about this already, but to, to really seek the truth in everything that you're doing and to really ask those tough questions 
to act with courage. So if you see something that is not right, to take a stand on that, even if it puts you in a potentially risky situation. And by that, I mean your, your own personal risk, you know, your kind of reputational capital, so to speak. But to you know, understand your own values and to stand up for them no matter what. And then the seventh capacity is around humility. So asking for help when you need it, admitting your mistakes, making amends when you've got it wrong, changing your mind when you've got it wrong, and to be open about that personal journey so that others can feel safe to, to do the same themselves. I feel like these are all things that managers are trying to do and sometimes struggling with every day. I may think about things like, you know, being courageous and that we want our teams to do great things. And sometimes that means that we have to shield them from the bureaucracy or the kind of machine that's happening around them. Sometimes we have to stand up for our team and, you know, surface issues upwards, which can put us at risk, especially if we're, you know, we're owning it on behalf of the team. All of these things kind of, I can like imagine how each one of these can play out in a day-to-day role, kind of regardless of where you are inside of an organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, another interesting finding from our research was that according to our survey respondents, only about half of their leaders are receiving training on some of these really complex issues. And so there's a big need there to expand how we think about leadership development or what we think about leadership development to support more people in developing these types of leadership qualities that the world today is is requiring. Amen to that. That's a big part of my job is, you know, and the fact that I do this podcast is in large part because there's just not enough training to help people be a rock star manager with a thriving team, right? To build that kind of leadership capacity, the kind of management skills, the ability to cultivate other people and make the whole greater than the sum of its parts, right? That we just don't have enough of that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, on that note, let's shift over to learning about a rock star manager that you had the benefit of working with and for and what made him or her so great. Yeah, I'm thinking about a manager that I had after grad school. Her name is Kathleen Callahan. And she was about the maybe the second or third boss I ever had. So she she really helped shape me and my leadership style. And one of the things that made her such a rock star was she was really a pioneer in her field. She was the first woman to hold a number of leadership positions within the Environmental Protection Agency at both the state and national level. And so she really kind of blazed a trail for others to follow. And her character was such that she, you know, was able to kind of really command respect, um, even when she was the only woman sitting at a table surrounded by men. So that's just a little bit about her history that that I really admire and that informed, you know, how she showed up as a leader every day. But some of the the ways that she profoundly impacted me was she was really invested 
in my growth as an individual and as a leader. You know, she always found opportunities for, you know, me to stand in front of a room of decision makers and speak with authority and credibility. She never took credit for my work. She always uh, gave me that, that credit so that others could recognize the contribution that I was adding to the organization. Um, she gave me books on leadership that were influential to her and her own leadership style. And, and I would read them and we would have conversations about what that meant and, and how that might show up in our work. You know, when I had an idea or a question, you know, she always would lead with, you know, well, what do you think? And in a way that really encouraged me to think, you know, two, three, four steps ahead in a way that hadn't come natural to me before. And it was in a very kind of supporting coaching style rather than a, you know, you better have an answer to this style that I hear about often from people. Wow. She sounds like an amazing, wonderful woman and someone who really displayed a lot of the characteristics we were talking about earlier about seeing you as more than just a resource, right? But a full person and enabling you to do your work, all those good things. Yeah. And we're, we're still in contact and she remains an incredible cheerleader and, and advisor of mine for which I'm very grateful. So lovely. All right. Well, as we wrap up, where can people learn more about the work that you're doing and LRN and all that? They can go to our website, www.lrn.com. We have a resources tab that has all of our research. This is the second year in a row that we've dove deeply into the topic of moral leadership. Um, So there's some really interesting year-over-year findings there about how the demand for moral leadership has increased, as well as research on other topics of organizational culture and behavior. Fantastic. And we'll throw those links in the show notes, of course. So thank you so much, Emily. I feel like my brain is buzzing with reflecting on my own leadership and my own capacities and capabilities. And am I living up to this concept of moral leadership and what I can do differently? So thank you for that. That is such a gift. Thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. As usual, I asked Emily for a special bonus to share with the Modern Manager community, and she provided a fantastic report on moral leadership produced by LRN. But she noted that it is already available for free to the public because they believe in access to knowledge. So if you are already a member or you become a member of the Modern Manager community, you will find this report available for download in the guest bonus page. If you subscribe to my newsletter already, it is in your inbox. And if you want to download it for yourself on the LRN site, the link is in the show notes. It is just too long for me to list the URL here. To become a member and get dozens of episode guides and guest bonuses worth hundreds of dollars for just $15 a month, go to mamieks.com join. To subscribe to my newsletter, go to mamieks.com podcast. Those URLs are both M-A-M-I-E. K as in kangaroo, S as in south.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively. 
build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.